0: You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, everyone? Today's podcast is a deal analysis for a 12-unit value-add deal in Westminster, Colorado. So I have Marcus William here from Spearhead Commercial Capital to talk about how this deal came about. Now, what makes this interesting is that it is active. So it is a current deal in the higher interest rate environment. And it's the borrower was the, facing the same issues other investors are uh, facing right now, which is when they buy a value-add deal, it's very hard to make cash flow and make the numbers work, which is often that DSCR ratio that commercial lenders are looking for. So We're gonna unpack a lot here about how the deal came about and also how financing is now working on deals like this. So Marcus, William, always glad to have you guys in the studio.
1: Hey, thanks for having us back. Thanks for having us.
0: So William, looking at you with this first question, I know you're running point on this deal. Sure. Set this up for us, like who's the borrower? What's the property like? Give us the rundown.
1: Yeah, so this is a repeat client of ours. Um, This will be kind of the third deal we've done with him this year he's very active in the multifamily market. And, um, as it relates to the listeners of this podcast, um, he did come from kind of the single family, uh, value add fix and flip type of world. Um, so he's, was used what well, used to be a W two employee, um, and recently quit that job to do real estate full time at in on the, as a side hustle, they were, you know, fix and flipping houses. And, um, that kind of naturally progressed into, true multifamily type of investment stuff um and they've gotten pretty comfortable with a few of the multifamily deals they've taken on as value add over the last handful of years and so this is what they do you know full-time now so um a client with probably about 10 properties um about half of those are still single families that they're holding and renting and the other half are um true value-add
0: projects with two or three actually in progress okay yeah and i mean from what we we're talking about before we hit record on the podcast was that this is an, I call it a very classic value add play. Sure. What legacy owner uh markets or rents well below markets? Yeah. Any heavy lifting? What was the rough business plan on this Yeah,
1: property? so this was an off market deal, which is why I think they probably got um, you know, a really reasonable purchase price for it. But the the seller's an older gentleman who's on this property, like you said, for decades, and um, you know whether it's just kind of passive or maybe he has a bigger portfolio where he just didn't, you know, pay attention as much, but, you know, the market rents had taken off and he just hadn't raised rents on his tenants, um, to, you know, constantly stay at where market rents are. Uh, so with this deal, I mean, the rents on each one of these units is probably anywhere from 60 to 70% of what, uh, market rents will allow. Um, Granted, there's some value add um, interior remodel rehab to to be doing to get to those market rents. I mean, anything major or just a typical no typical cosmetic, you know, go from a
0: 1970s to modern. Exactly, exactly. They'll
1: do some some updating or facelift to the exterior as well. But really, from an interior perspective, it's your typical carpet paint. Okay. Counter tarps, cabinets.
0: Do you uh I know we don't have the spreadsheet in front of us, but like what was like the rough purchase price? What's the rough like construction cost? Do you just kind of give our listeners some context on there?
1: Yeah, they're right around um six to seven thousand dollars per unit on their on their rehab budget. Um purchase price here, I think penciled out uh right around um, three point two. Okay. And so, what we ended up here um, was seventy-five percent loan to cost. So the lender is doing the acquisition price at seventy for seventy-five percent. They're also including about seventy-five percent of the total rehab budget in in the loan. Um, so you can see the loan structure is a seven-year term. Get a thirty-year amortization when it does amortize. But the first twelve months of the loan are, are interest only to help them through um, that rehab, yeah. uh,
0: um, you know, lift. Okay. Now the part I really want to like dive into because I've I've seen this issue come up and I've talked to a bunch of people is that buying a property, um, even though they're probably getting that and sound like you know, relatively good deal, rents are still below market. We know where interest rates are at, having it cash flow or having that D S C R coverage, mm-hmm. I know is very, very, very tough. Uh, but you put together a good, a good, uh, loan program for this.
1: Yeah. So so talk about
0: the challenge and all that, please.
1: Sure. Yeah. The challenge is that when your rents are at 60 to 70% of where market are is, and the seller's trying to obviously get top dollar when they're selling it is that, you know, with high interest rates, um, peak type of market pricing for the sale of the asset, your, your debt service coverage, um, is going to be low. So typically the way to shore that up is you got to bring more cash down. Um, So most of the stuff that we see in Denver metro area for multifamily is really only penciling it somewhere around 60% loan to value, just because the rents aren't high enough. The NOI is not high enough to, um, you know, chase down where rates have gone these days. Um, So the interesting part about this one was knowing that this was a value add, he was looking for max leverage to include, um, you know, uh, tenant improvement dollars with the loan um, without having to raise equity and give part of the project away. Um, they were looking for max leverage. And that's where we came up with a lender who can do, uh, has a has a credit policy that allows one-to-one debt service coverage or DSCR on the front end. So long as the improvements made to the property and an appraisal um, NOI upon stabilization can support a 1.25 debt service coverage upon stabilization. So that's the big key to this. And um, you know, they they will be obviously doing some rehab to the property to increase the property value. And therefore that's the model to get some of these tenants and these units up to market rents.
0: So from the uh, like investor standpoint, when they're out there, you know, getting deals like this and talking to you for a loan, like, is this a common product investors can find out there or is this pretty unique to this property or perhaps since this is not his first property, but he has a track record? like, can How common can is this loan available for people or is it very specific to certain situations?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd say his experience um, plays a critical part in that, right? You can't just um, buy your first multifamily deal with a value add and expect to know how to do it well. We'll probably get um, so, terms like this. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a, the part of the, the puzzle for the lender, but I would say this is pretty uncommon, um, policy out there. I mean, we have a couple lenders who can kind of dip below the 1.2 or 1.25 debt service coverage ratio that most lenders require. Um, if there's a value add path to increasing rents and getting an OI up, um, they can be kind of more pro forma looking, but this is a pretty unique, um, credit policy for sure. Um, we have a couple of deals going through this lender with that program, just given where rates are, where NOI and debt service coverage pencil out on deals
0: that are, um, you know, Metro area. Okay. Yeah. So I want to kind of walk through the timeline on here. So Mm -hmm. 12 unit, um, I'm assuming they will be turning a unit or two at a time here. Um, how long do they project it for them to turn all the units and then get them up to market rent?
1: Yeah. So 12 months, um, interest only isn't just arbitrary. I mean, that's really what they project to be able to turn all units. They have no plans to empty this thing out and start, you know, turning all units. So they're waiting for leases to turn off. They're going to go in rehab that specific unit, bring it to market, get it up to market rents. Um, you know, knowing that people sign 12 month leases, there aren't really any brand new leases in here. Mm -hmm. Um, but by the time they, you know, close on this deal, which is really in the next couple of weeks, um, they will have, you know, um, people at least, you know, uh, one or two months into their leases. So 12 months should be enough time to reno each, each and every unit. Um, they should be having this thing fully stabilized
0: at market rents by the time the interest only period runs out. And so since this is, uh, I mean, it's a seven year term loan with a year IO, it's not, I wouldn't call this a bridge loan since this is a, a seven year term on here. So are they planning on like refinancing out? Do you think after it's like up to up to market and stabilized, or is just the type of loan they can hold for a few years and then hey, if rates dip, they'll refinance then?
1: Yeah. You know, the prepay was important here because of that exact reason, right? Once they get market rents, obviously property value is different, the NOI is different. They might seek cash out from this upon stabilization to go buy another property too. Um so the the prepayment penalty was was front of mind. This lender happens to have no prepayment penalty on this loan. Um so depending on where rates are, um you know after 12 months of of stabilized NOI hits the books, we could potentially take this out with agency or um you know other kind of non-recourse financing that would maximize their cash out position to Spend into the next project, or just you know re- reimburse
0: their balance sheet for um, the okay. portion of the of the capex in. And as the game plan now with just, I mean, what the market's doing. Just hey, follow this game plan, and then twelve months, fifteen months, once it's up and running, see what the situation's like, and yep. hold or refinance or pull cash out. Just depends what happens in twelve months. Yeah, if the market's
1: okay. more favorable, certainly this lender would look to adjust the rate and keep it on the books if it's performing. Um, if it's not, we can go back to market for them. Um, but that's what the beauty of the seven year term too, is they don't have to do anything um, for the next handful of years.
0: So I like this structure a lot. I didn't really like, you know, I read the brief before we got on here, but now I'm really connecting the dots, but this gives them like some really good optionality, but also they just stay in hold you know, stay and maintain this loan. Like they're in a very good spot. So like, that seems like, obviously you structured it this way for a reason, but it seemed like it was set up very well. Right, and by comparison
1: purposes, if um, we had to stick to like a 125 debt service cover on this deal, they would have had to bring something like 40% down and it would not have included any of the rehab dollars that they needed to put in. Um, so that's kind of the fun part of the one-to-one uh, go-in debt service is it keeps cash on their balance sheet um, and you know allows them to kind of maximize uh, the project
0: are there any, any um, like reserve requirements for this? Cause I know, you know, when COVID a couple of years ago, reserves became a lot more popular mm-hmm. with structures like this or interest rising or lenders going back to reserve requirements or anything. Um, uh, that would be the typical way you would shore up a deal like
1: this without in-place cash flow. would be, Hey, if you're able to come up with 12 months of debt service that you can land with the lender and say, um, look, here's where the next 12 months of payments can come from. If this deal doesn't pencil out the way we want, um, that's how you would shore it up with a lender who's underwriting on the front end at um, 1.25. Okay. You know, debt service cover would be bring some extra deposits. They might be able to push leverage there just based on the cash that you have in in the institution. For this one, um, no, there actually is no reserve um, requirement. Really? For for the one-to-one. Um, now if it was sub one to one, they would have to post, uh, enough cash to make up the difference between one to one and sub one to one. Okay. So we're now we're really getting into the weeds, but it's like, let's say this thing penciled at 0.8% or 0.8 times debt service cover. They have to bring enough cash to patch up that 0.8 to get it to one to one on the
0: front end. under Not as a down payment, but just in the reserve account to make up the difference. In addition to downstroke. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. But they will have, on deposit, they'll have the TI budget, I imagine.
1: Yeah, they're putting the um, their portion of the tenant improvement dollars at the institution. That's a requirement. Um, they will have an operating account with this lender so that the the payments can auto-debit. Um, but outside of that, it's pretty, pretty lackadaisical
0: structure, I would say. Man, that's probably a lot less capital than 12 months worth of reserves, I would imagine, too. Yep, exactly. Um, all right, so... Looking at, you know, the market, this type of loan structure, and, you know, lots of people wanting to continue to do, like, multifamily value add, what's the, any differences, any, th- any other difference in the landscape out here that investors should be aware of as looking at deals? Like, you know, I think we've all had our rules of thumb for underwriting over the last handful of years. A lot of those rules of thumbs are changing now. Like, mm-hmm. what broad-level guidance would you give to investors out there while they're looking at deals and obviously thinking about the debt piece?
1: Yeah, we see a lot more kind of syndication activity, I would say, just because people are having to raise extra money to bring the bigger down payments to make a deal go. Um, because rates are up here, purchase prices are still up here. The purchase prices haven't kind of come back down to to reality. Um, so unless someone has a 1031 money from spinning out of something, there's usually not a whole like a giant chunk of money just sitting there waiting to be you know, no one likes doing 50% loan-to-value deals unless that's very,
0: you know, um, strategic yeah. around just not liking high leverage. Um, so you're seeing more, basically, uh, people turn syndicating a deal versus just taking them down themselves now with a higher equity requirement. Yeah, but you have to just give up your own
1: returns to raise more equity for the down payment mm-hmm. is what kind of we're seeing um,
0: because deals don't pencil as well. Interesting. I'm, I never thought about that, but I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah. Okay. Anything else in terms of that and what you're seeing activity going on, or either from the investor side or trends on the lender side? Yeah, I mean trends on the lender side are
1: are, are you know constantly reoccurring just given where interest rates are. I mean, you see the four point seven five percent rate here. I mean, that was kinda secured at least 45 days ago <laughs> um, and they will hold on to a rate for for 60 days for someone without a formal rate lock but um if for whatever reason this thing gets pushed i'm sure that rate will adjust um to where markets are but that's an ongoing conversation right is the the rates just change daily now and um it's kind of unfortunate so just pay attention to what your timelines are and um we do see and you can jump in marcus but i i've seen a couple of sellers try to pencil in an extra 30 day extension because when they sell a property, they're probably going to 1031 into something else. And they want more time to go see what's out there. Um, and 90 day rate holds pretty challenging, um, given the, the volatility in the market. So, um, I'm sure buyers, they don't want the extension
0: because then they're just, yeah,
1: buyers don't because no
0: Compromise one can protect their, their loan, rate. Yeah, yeah
1: Absolutely. So it's a good amount of give and and take and negotiation around contract timelines currently.
0: Yeah, but let's say this same lender today
1: is pricing at five, four for a similar type term, let's Mm -hmm. say. Um, That's what people need to be recognizing in their stress tests of their pro foremost, right? Something is
0: 45 days, that's quick in real estate. We all know that. That's one hiccup in a deal, that's you miss out on a deal and now you have to go find another one that's a crazy change in
1: interest rate environment. So I hope that folks are, when they're stress testing their deals, that they're starting probably with an interest rate that starts with a six, make sure your deal can work around there. And then of course you can try and negotiate a better rate in the, in the capital markets when you're out there exploring deals, but you have to be realistic. So you're saying take market and add a little bit right now. Of course, yeah. That's, that's yeah. a great point. I mean, I think when we're underwriting your sizing deals, we're using a 6% interest rate. Um, that may not be what you get as a client, but we want to make sure that, hey, if we're, you know, during this 30 day period of you're looking at a property, getting it under contract, finding a lender who will do it, there, we just kind of have to build that in now. Yeah. Um, just because of where interest rates are. And we have put out term sheets that are, you know, seven to 10 year rates that do start with a six handle now. Hmm. It's oh, kind of yeah. the reality of things. Yeah. So that's the reality. And the trends are going to keep going that way for a little bit. So yeah. It appear. And I would say, um, you know, prepayments penalties are important because there is some speculation that maybe you know rates come back down um, this time next year or whatever if uh, you know recession kind of drags out or oh, however you want to look at it. But um, you know, be cognizant of that. We have people looking at you know three and five year money now versus like seven to ten because they feel like they could refi if rates come back down. Yep. Um, so you know, unless you're unless you're ultra comfortable. I would just say you, you, there's a there's a balance between locking in a long-term fixed rate and being able to refinance that thing if rates do come back. So you're yeah. seeing a lot more people just do shorter terms? Yeah, because if there is a prepay associated with it, it's usually less. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. obviously less on a five-year deal than it is a seven.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that, that makes complete sense. It's always just fascinating how all these, everything just starts changing this year, this year, this year. All right. So in terms of like, I'm curious, like this investor, obviously he's out there wheeling and dealing. He's out there finding active deals. Um, do you know has his strategy changed or is he still going after that and just adjusting on the debt side, like everyone else? His strategy is shifting because of that. I mean, you buy enough deals in the same
1: year, you sort of run out of cash from a balance sheet perspective or from what you think is a comfortable amount of cash. Um, so there's opportunities that he's talked about with us recently that would involve syndication um, and them giving up some equity to continue to pursue deals. Um, but yeah, they're active. They're looking for stuff that has return. And um, you know, the, the max leverage game is, um, is really hard right now because nothing pencils so unless you're gonna chase a new you know secondary or tertiary market where you might still find like a six or seven cap. Um, on the go in from a, a value add perspective, mm-hmm. um, it's all just gonna kind of look this way. For okay. now. But yeah, I think he's he's looking at different markets, um, trying to find something that makes sense, and um, potentially bringing in you know some other investors to to assist with the equity side of
0: things. Awesome. Yeah. Well, as always, guys, I enjoy this. I mean, it's always uh, great to talk to you about deals, and you know, I say this every time we get together, but we love working with you guys. Uh, We as agents like it, our clients like it. And I think you guys are great at taking people's situations, their goals, their property, their asset type, running that through your filter, playing matchmaker and getting them on the same page and putting, putting together some deals. So love working with you guys. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Yeah,
1: thanks again for See having See you guys us. soon. Yeah, I right. bet.